Mark chapter 10, we looked at post-resurrection priorities this morning. Now we look at just the priority of Christ tonight. Mark chapter 10, drop down to verse 17. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not be defraud, defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, looking at him loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, for just the privilege of being in your house, that we can sing your praises, that we can pray to you, that we can experience you. As you move among us, that we can have fun in your house with one another. Father, I just ask you'll speak to us at our deepest point of need right now. That you'll make your word come alive. That your Holy Spirit, that you will calm our hearts and minds. And Father, that you'll settle us on what you'd have us to do. And as you do these things for us, we'll give you all the praise and glory that's due to your precious name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, most scholars think that this little incident took place as Jesus is heading uh, towards Jerusalem again. He's heading for that final week, the Passion Week. He's heading towards the cross and his death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. On the way, uh, an interesting thing happens because on the way... uh, He's approached by a rich, young ruler. Now, this is one of those guys that's a, 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 an aristocrat. He is socially elite. Um, you know, he's some kind of ruler of the Jews. And there's been debate whether he was on the Sanhedrin or not. But he's some kind of ruler among the Jewish nation. And he's rich. He has all that the world can offer. And, uh, but he comes to Jesus asking a question. And then he leaves dejected. Rejecting Christ's commands, and you think, well, why would he do that? Because he refuses to place a priority of Christ in his life. See, Jesus has to have absolutely has to have absolute priority in our lives. Let me put it another way: if anything stands between us and Christ, all is lost. If anything stands between us and Jesus, everything is lost. And so, how does that look? First of all, in verses 17 and 18, notice this man was seeking direction. Read that again with me, verses 17 and 18. This man was seeking direction. Now, as he was coming out on the road, one came running to him, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. See, here he is, the 
rich young ruler. In other words, he had everything that the world had to offer, and yet uh, the legalism of Judaism had left him sort of empty. He was still seeking direction. He wanted to know what else. Now, to this young man's credit, he came to the right person. He came to Jesus. He came at the right time when Jesus was passing by. And he almost asked the right question. Not quite. Because his question was, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? In other words, what else can I do to earn this? You see, he calls Jesus good and falls at his feet. He does all those things. He doesn't use flattery. But he just doesn't want to count the cost. When Jesus says, why do you call me uh, good? There's nothing good but uh, uh, God the Father. What he's really saying is, you're asking about eternal life. What's it worth to you? You're in the presence of deity. What's it worth? Okay. You've called me good. Have you realized who I really am? One good, and that's God. Well, I'm God. Are you there yet? He's sort of probing him and seeing, where, where are you? In other words, how much do you want eternal life? What are you willing to pay for eternal life? What does it mount to you? And we need to ask, how much did we want it? How much is it worth to us? You see, we need to realize that the whole world is seeking for the peace this young man was seeking, and we have the answer. It's sort of like, how cruel would it be if we had a cure for cancer And we kept it to ourselves. That would be the absolute cruelty uh, of all the world. To have something like that and not to share it. And yet we have the answer. Let me give you some some things from uh, the North American Mission Board. Uh, Do you realize that uh, when we knock on doors and we ask people their spiritual condition, that one in four will actually let us finish to find out what their spill condition is. So if you knock on four doors, one of them won't shut it. One of them will be okay and let you just finish your little spill. Now when you do that again, so it's one in eight, will actually listen to the gospel presentation. And one in 12 will actually make a decision for Christ. So you knock on 12 different doors and present the gospel 12 different times, and you realize from the one in four stuff that you're... You're doing a lot more than 12 before you get to present the gospel, right? Make the math. But my point is this. We say 1 in 12. That's not bad. That's that's pretty good. Do you realize that 1 in 12 will also accept Mormonism? 1 in 12 will also accept Jehovah's Witnesses? 1 in 12 will accept almost any cult because they're looking for something? We have the answer for what the world is looking for. And we need to ask, how much does it mean to us? If it's really our treasure, if it really is the best thing that happened in our life, are we sharing who Jesus is? Is he our priority? Do we think about the lost? Do we pray for the lost? Not only that, but are we keenly aware of when God gives us opportunities to present the gospel? Do we back up? Do we hush up? Are we afraid? What do we do? Because if we're not faithful to do it, They'll accept something that's false and go to hell because we didn't follow Christ. The second thing, this guy comes and he's asking Jesus for the direction. But in verses 18 through 20, Jesus questioned him about devotion. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. 
Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father, father, further, <laughs> your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So Jesus is asking about devotion. And if you noticed, if you know your Ten Commandments, he starts with the latter five. See, the first five deal with God and your relationship with him. The other five deal with man and your relationship with man. And what Jesus is really pointing out to us is your devotion to God shows up in an active, everyday way because your devotion to God and my devotion to God shows in how we treat other people. When we're really devoted to God, we treat other people the way God would treat them. Now, the guy says, not necessarily in a braggadocious manner, but all these I've kept for my youth. In other words, isn't there more? Now, when he says I've kept for my youth, the word is bar mitzvah. And that's when they have the little ceremony where a child becomes a man. And so he says, I've kept these since I became a son of the covenant. Part of being a Jew in that day, and I assume in today, but especially in that day, a conservative Jew, when he had his bar mitzvah, he became a son of the covenant or a man of the covenant, and the promise was, I will keep God's law. I will live it. It will be important to me. And so he says, it's been so important to me, I've kept these from my youth. Now, it's interesting to me, we don't hear that, that Jesus smiled or snickered. We don't see that he corrected him. So he must have done a pretty good job of keeping them. You see, here's what the guy had done. He kept all the don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. The problem he has is with the do's. See, because the same Bible says don't do this or don't do that instructs us to do things. Do charitable giving. Do love the brothers. Do do this. A lot of people can keep the don'ts, but they don't have the commitment to keep the do's. James says it this way, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him that is sin. You see, we need to ask that. Are we devoted enough to do the do's that God wants us to do? Um, if you read your hymnal very much about who writes the songs, you'll see that they're full of Fanny Crosby songs. It amazed me that she lost her sight at six weeks of old, yet she left over 6,000, let me read that again, no, 8,000 gospel songs. One minister sort of patted her on the shoulder one day and said, Fanny, I think it's just a shame that... Uh, that the master didn't give you sight when he gave you so many other gifts. And she really quickly put him in his place and said, if I had one prayer today, it would be that I've been born blind again. He said, really, why? He said, because when I get to heaven and I have new eyes, the first face I'm going to get to see is my Savior's. Now, that's devotion to me. We need to ask, is our devotion just for the don'ts or is it for the do's also? Is it a checklist kind of thing or is it doing what we're supposed to do? Is it, is it show up in how we relate to others and treat others? If not, do we really have a relationship with Jesus? But notice the saddest thing in verses 21 through 22. This man refused discipleship. 
He refused discipleship. He's Jesus looking at him. Now notice, Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have. Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. What a challenge. But he was sad at this word, for he had great possessions, and he went away sorrowful. He refused discipleship. Now, I'm not for sure that I'm right on this, but I think I am. This is the only time in our New Testament. Now, listen, that Jesus told an individual specifically, you come follow me. And the individual said, no. Because he said to Peter, come follow me. John, come follow me. Matthew, come follow me. On and on and on it went. And when he said, you follow me, people followed him. This is the only time that he specifically told somebody, you come follow me. And the individual said, no. Now, there was an individual that wanted to follow him. And Jesus said, no, you go preach to your friends. And that was the, the demoniac, the gathering that he had healed. And he sent him back to the, the cities of the Decapolis. And he was, a, he was a witness to them. But you see, he tells him, look, I'm going to cut to the matter. There's something that's standing between you and God, you and me. He said, you go. You sell all your riches. You give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven instead of just on earth. Come, take up your cross, the way of death, and you follow me. The true problem is what stood between him and God, and Jesus knew it and dealt with it. Again, I want you to understand anything that stands between us and God is our priority. Anything that stands between us and God is really our God. If anything stands between us and God and really stands between us and following Christ and us and accepting Christ and us and, and doing this for Christ, we have a real problem because all can be lost if that's what keeps us from following Christ. And it said, he went away sad for he had great possessions. We need to ask, we may not have great possessions, but where are we about discipleship? Is it someone else that we have a relationship with that's more important than Jesus? Is it the things that we possess that may not be great wealthy things, but there are things and they keep us from following him fully? Is it positions? Is it power? Is it popularity, attitudes, lifestyles? See, what really has the priority of Christ in our life? We need to ask ourselves that. Because anything that stands between us and God is our priority. And our priority is supposed to be our Savior. You see, some folks will say, well, preacher, that's, that's fine to say. But, you know, I have to live and work and raise my family. I didn't tell you to quit your job. I didn't tell you to become a monk. I didn't tell you to abandon your family. But I told you to make sure you keep the first things first. And the first thing is Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Remember what he said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. When Jesus is our priority, these other things tend to fall in place. When Jesus is our priority, it doesn't give us license to neglect our families or 
to give us license to neglect our jobs or anything else. It means that everything I do is for Christ. Therefore, I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. I'm going to be the best mom and dad I can be because of Jesus. I'm going to be the best employee I can be because of Jesus. I'm going to be the best neighbor I can be because of Jesus. I'm going to be the best at my social interactions because Jesus is my priority and I want my friends to know that I stand for Jesus and they need to stand for him too. That's where it works out. That's where Christianity is all about, daily living. It's where, as my father-in-law used to say, the rubber meets the road. If you hadn't understood that, that's your car tires. And without good tires, your car don't go. Just in case you didn't know that. But we need to ask ourselves, is he our priority? Here's how to answer that. To yourself, how much of my time does Jesus get? Bible study, prayer time, church service. You take a 24-hour day, so 2.4 hours belongs to God according to the tithe per day. Is he getting that? Well, if I can't all eight hours on Sunday, he's getting it, Brother Gary. Good. Okay. What about giving a tithe and an offering? Is my priority Christ? Does he have a hold of my wallet? Is my priority Christ in that when there's people that need visited, I'm going to be Johnny on the spot and go visit them in the hospital or next door or wherever? Do I use my gifts that he's gifted me with spiritually in the church so that the church doesn't suffer or languish in areas? Do I sing like a bird because I can and sound like a crow because I do? Only you can answer those things. But it's our priority, Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we want you to be our priority at the church. That we show Jesus in all that we do and say. That we live for you outside these walls. That we impact our community for Christ. Father, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and needs to accept them, let them do that during this time. If there are those who need to come in rededication and make him the priority, let them do that. If there's some who need to join the church or some who need to be better witnesses or better at this or that for Jesus' sake, then allow them to make those. If there are silent decisions that need to be made, then let us make them and keep them in Christ's name.